Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Now here's Pastor Josh Butcher with today's message. Hey, uh, can we give can we give our worship team just one more hand? Isn't that awesome? Holy cow. That was incredible. You know, while we're like clapping for them, you know who else doesn't often get recognized, but who deserves so much just appreciation? Our setup team. Jesus too, but our setup team. Like our setup team is legit. Like all of the stuff that you see, like that didn't, like the theater doesn't do that for us. Like we don't just show up and open the door and like, hey, it's all set up. No, people actually show up, man, seven o'clock in the morning uh, and, and, and work for, for two, at least two hours, sometimes longer, sometimes a little shorter if they're really fast. Uh, but to set all of this up, and it's just so incredible to see people who, who not only love Jesus, but, but love our church and, and want to uh, be a part of it. Maybe not in the front, on the, on the front lines, but behind the scenes, and they're a part of that. Hey, a plug for the setup team. If you're, if you're not busy at seven o'clock on Sunday mornings, I know they would appreciate uh, your, your time. <laughs> Some of them are going, yes, we would. Hey, um, you came, if today's your first day, uh, two things. One, uh, make sure you fill out the communication card and or text the number that Dorothy was telling you about at the beginning of the worship experience today. It's also printed in the program. It was on a slide. You'll see it a couple more times. Text that. We'd just like to connect with you. Um, also, you picked a great day to be here. We're in the middle of a series called uh, Sacred Cows. And say, the idea behind Sacred Cows is that there are some subjects in the church that we just don't talk about. Uh, there, there are things that oftentimes the church will just kind of gloss over and skip over. And the, the, those are the issues actually that when you actually talk to someone and converse with them, it seems to be the issue they're struggling with the most. Last couple of weeks, we've talked about doubt. Uh, we've talked about depression. And, uh, and today, you know, those, are, those aren't as controversial. Uh, but today we kind of move into PG-13 territory. And we're going to kind of hang out there for the next few weeks as, as we dive into a little bit more controversial uh, issues. So before we do that, because, you know, it's going to get real tense here in just a second. Uh, let me start off with a joke. I, I am aware that the bovine community does not like this series. And they have voiced that frustration. We're going to set up an interview and see if we can't work out some kind of reconciliation. But anyway, uh, what do you call a cow with a twitch? Anybody know? A cow with a twitch? Beef jerky. (laughs) All right, let's talk about sex. I tried all week to figure out how to transition into that. And that's the best I got. How is sex a sacred cow? That's what we're talking about today, sex and sexuality. Uh, You might say, well, Pastor Josh, I don't think sex is a sacred cow in the church. It seems like every church is doing some kind of series on sex, and they've got billboards and people's feet coming out from under sheets, and it's just crazy. It's everywhere. And you're right. It is everywhere. And it seems like the message that the church continually has on repeat when it comes to sex is this. Number one, don't have sex before marriage. Number two, don't have sex with somebody of the same gender. And then that's it. That's pretty much the message of the church about sex and sexuality. We don't really say much else. Basically, our message about sex is don't do this and don't do that. So what happens is, as so often is the case, the the message of the church becomes more about what we are against than what we are for. 
it, it becomes more about, well, we don't do that, and if you do that, you can't come to our church, and, and, and we don't allow people like that here, than, hey, God's love is for everybody, and he loves you, and we want to engage further because we know this is a real issue that people struggle with and that, and that people are going through. And here's, I don't know if, if you had this sex talk. Here's the kind of the sex talk in the church that I had. Sex is dirty, gross, uh, nasty, and dangerous, so save it for marriage. <laughs> okay. Ooh, all right. Or, or maybe you had this sex talk. This is a great one too. Hey, here's a picture of syphilis and gonorrhea. You don't want syphilis and gonorrhea, do you? Don't have sex. And that's it. Like, that's our, that's our sex talk. Hey, let me tell you about sex. Look at these pictures. You don't want that? Don't do it until you get married. Which then makes, you know, so many stories about people's wedding night that, that have, been, have grown up in the church and they've heard that sex is gross, sex is dirty, don't have sex, don't have sex, don't have sex. And then they get to their wedding night when they're allowed to have sex and it goes terribly wrong. <laughs> I, have, I have sat with people who's like, man, it was awful. It was horrible, you know, and I'm not like, I'm not using this as a reason to like, hey, have premarital sex. No, that's not it. I'm just saying we need to change the conversation about sex and sexuality in the church. It's not enough just to say, don't do this and don't do that. We have to present a message and a vision for, hey, here's what sex is for. Here's the beauty of this, of this activity. Because see, here's what I've discovered about church. It's a lot easier to make rules about what we can't do than cultivate someone's heart to be devoted to God. It's a lot easier to say, don't do this, than it is to say, hey, cultivate your heart and love and passion for Jesus and let your desires be sprung out of that heart that loves God. Because here's the assumption that we make. We make some assumptions in the church when it comes to sexuality and, and marriage. And, and here's kind of what we assume. Once two people are married, once they say, I do, husband, wife, I do, preacher, I now pronounce you husband and wife. Once that happens, we assume that they go into a carefree, blissful uh, lifetime of sexual fulfillment. And they never need to have any discussion about that relationship ever again. It's just, it's just great and smooth and easy. And the reality is that there are followers of Jesus and non-followers of Jesus who are incredibly broken and frustrated with their sexuality. And they don't know where to turn to and where to go to because the church's message is, we don't talk about that here. If you want to talk about that, here's our message. Don't do this and don't do that. Other than those things we're not really going to broach the subject. That's why I think sex and sexuality is actually a sacred cow in the church. But see what happens in the book of James. Uh, James is a writer of one of the letters of the New Testament near the end of the New Testament. He's actually the half-brother of Jesus. If you want to know Jesus is legit, do you have a brother or sister that would buy into the fact that you're the Messiah? Jesus did. So James is kind of one of the best, best proofs, best, best evidences that Jesus was legitimately who he said he was. But in James, James the writer, he compares the Bible, the word of God, to a mirror. He compares it to a mirror and he says what happens is, is we open up the Bible and we're supposed to look into it and see what's going on in our lives. We're supposed to look into the mirror and see ourselves. Did you have a 
any of the ladies in here, do you have a makeup mirror? Do you know what I mean when I say makeup mirror? Like we had a makeup mirror growing up. Maybe if I describe it to you, you know what I'm talking about. Um, my mom had this mirror that, that had a mirror on each side. It was like this, uh, you know, square looking thing and it had a mirror on each side and it had a stand that it would sit on and you could twirl it, like you could flip it around. And on one side, it was just a normal mirror. Like you would just look normal and stuff. But if you flipped that thing around, everything got absolutely ginormous and huge. And I would spend as a little kid hours playing with my mom's makeup mirror. Now I wasn't putting on makeup. That came later. Um, <laughs> when I was a teenager and I did stupid stuff. Um, some of you are laughing because you've done it too. If you grew up in church in a youth group, then odds are if you're a dude, you've worn women's makeup before. Anyway, uh, that's not what we're here to talk about. That's a totally different sermon. Um, I would play with this thing and I would flip it around. Eventually I broke it like my mom said I would. Parents, you know what I'm talking about? Don't mess with that. You're going to break it. I broke it, you know. But I would mess with it. And I loved that makeup mirror side because I would look at it and I would, you know, this is gross. I was a boy. I would look up my nose because I wanted to see everything that's going in there. I looked down my, down my mouth and my throat because I wanted to see all of my tonsils real big and stuff. Because it was cool because it made everything larger. And you see, that's what James is saying the Bible is like. The Bible's kind of like a makeup mirror. We look into it to see our true selves, to see how we are imperfect and to see how Jesus is perfect and how he can transform our lives. But what happens in the church is we stop using the Bible like a makeup mirror and we turn it into a microscope. And what we do is instead of looking at our own hearts, we take other people and we slide them under our microscope and we pick apart and, 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 and notice all of their imperfections and say, look, you're wrong here. You got issues here. And so what we do is we minimize our sin and we maximize theirs. And so often this is how we do it in the church when it comes to sexuality. We maximize their sin their sexual immorality, their sexual confusion, their sexual issues, and then we never turn the mirror on our own heart. So here's what I want to say. Before we really dive into our passage today, before we go any further in our conversation, I want to say two things to those of you in the room who are struggling with a wide array of sexual issues. Maybe, maybe you're here today and your current life or even your past life is not that clean. Like you got some junk and you got issues. Maybe you're here today and you have been the victim of someone else's sexual sin. You know what I mean? And that has impacted you today. So you've got confusion and uncertainty in your life. Maybe you have a friend, maybe you yourself are struggling with with same-sex attraction and feelings and, and you don't know what to do about it or you have a family member or a friend that, that goes through that and deals with that, I want to say two things to you. Well, well number one, I, wanna, I just want to apologize. I want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry for how you've been treated in the church. I'm sorry for the things that church people have said about you. I'm sorry for the looks and the whispers and the gossip. I'm sorry for the crude jokes and the hurtful comments, I'm sorry that you had to endure that. And I want to let you know, this church is not, going to, is not a church like that. Because here, here's the two things I want to tell you. Number one, you matter to God. 
I don't know what you've gone through in your past. And, and you're, you might have so much junk in your trunk that, that if you opened it up, we would all blush. But I want you to know you still matter to God. God loves you. He has a plan and a purpose for your life, regardless of what the past, regardless of what you're living in right now. God loves you and you matter to him and he has a plan and purpose for your life. But I also want you to know, not only do you matter to God, but you matter to this church. We love you. And we want to say to you, whatever your, your, your sexuality looks like right now, you're welcome here. Now, having said that, some of y'all are getting real tense. Listen, I want you to know you're welcome here, even though we may not agree on everything. This is a safe place for you. This is a place where you can hear about Jesus, where we will point you to Jesus. We're not going to condemn you or judge you. We're going to love you regardless of what your life looks like because our love is not conditional upon your behavior. Our love is conditional upon our Savior. We don't love you because of who you are. We love you because of who he is. You know what I'm saying? So you're welcome here. And I want to tell you that because here at Vertical Church, we're not interested in building walls. We want to build bridges. And today you're going to hear me say stuff that you're not going to agree with. And I want you to know that we love you. We really do. And you're welcome here. And we don't have to agree for you to continue this relationship. Okay? All right, cool. Open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 19. This is going to be a fun, uh, fun passage, a different kind of way to uh, broach the subject of sexuality. This, in this passage, Jesus is asked about marriage and divorce. You see, sometimes when Jesus would be teaching, uh, the Pharisees would pose a question to try to test him to see where he stood on issues. And even in Jesus's day, the issue of marriage and sexuality and divorce and all that stuff, that was a very hot topic, even in Jesus's day. People had a wide array of opinions and ideas about what this meant and that meant. And so they asked Jesus, and that's what happens. If you have a Bible, that's cool. If not, uh, just follow along on the, on the screen behind me. Here we go. Verse one, when Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. And here's where it happens. Some Pharisees, verse three, some Pharisees came to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? So see how they're wanting Jesus to weigh in on the sacred cow in their day. Jesus, what do you think about this? And look how he responds, because how he responds is really important to where we're going today. Look what he says. He says, haven't you read? Which means he's referencing something that's already been written, that they already have, that they should have read. And look what he says. He says, haven't you read? That's real important. We're going to come back to that here in just a second. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. I just want to pause here before we dive into this particular passage. And I want to just kind of, um, I want to bring you along in a subject called biblical hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is a fancy seminary word for how we go about interpreting what a passage says. Hermeneutics is not just about the Bible. It's about any kind of written passage. It's just a fancy word that means literally interpreting, interpretation, how you go about doing it. And there are all kinds of different ways that you interpret the Bibles. Many of you practice this already. 
there's, a, there's an idea called the historical social context. In other words, let's try to get to the culture that the Bible was written in, uh, the, the culture that it originates out of, the issues of the day, the, the geopolitical landscape. Let's get an idea of that, and that will tell us what the words mean. That'll give us an idea to how to interpret it. Other, other people say, okay, well, let's dive into the literary context, the literature. You know, the Bible is a piece of literature. And so there are things like metaphors and similes and parts of speech and, and, and ways of writing. And there are different types of writing. Some is narrative, some uh, is, is didactic, some writing is meant to be poetic in nature. Some writing is what we call apocalyptic, which is just crazy like writing. And so, so these people would say, you got to know the kind of literature you're dealing with to really understand what the Bible is saying. Well, one of the things, one of kind of the principles of, of hermeneutics is this idea of the principle of first mention. And this is a fancy way of saying that the first mention of a subject in the Bible creates a, a kind of lens through which every mention of that subject should be interpreted. It's kind, of, it's kind of the idea that the very first time a subject is mentioned, it creates a pattern. It's God's intent for you to view everything else that's said about that subject through that pattern or through that kind of keystone or, or keyhole. The interesting thing about what Jesus does here is he actually points us back to the first mention. Because he quotes from Genesis chapter 2. When they say, Jesus, what do you think about human sexuality? He says, oh, well, don't you remember? Haven't you read the first mention of human sexuality back in Genesis chapter 2? So in order to, to understand what Jesus is talking about, let's, let, let's turn back to Genesis chapter 2. If you have a Bible, it's at the beginning. <laughs> It's the second chapter in the first book, so it'd be real easy to find. If you don't want to look for it, I've got it on the screen for you. Look what, Genesis chapter 2, let's start with verse 18. Look what happens. God is doing all the creating, and now it's kind of getting more organized and order to it. The Lord God said, he sees, he sees Adam, he's already created the man, and he sees him, and look what he says. He says, it is not good for the man to be alone. It's not good for Adam to be by himself. He needs some companionship. He's, he's lonely. He's isolated. And he needs what he, said, what he says later. He says, I will make a helper suitable for him. God says, it's not good to be alone, Adam. It's not good to be the only one. You need some interaction. You need, and this is going to be a really key word for us, you need intimacy. Look what he goes on and say, uh, pick it up in the second half of verse 20. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. And when he looked at her, he said, whoa, man. No, he didn't. He didn't speak English. Um, verse 24, this is, this is where Jesus quotes from. Look at this, verse 24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And then look what he says in verse 25. Adam and his wife 
were both naked. I don't know what you do when you're naked, but I know what Adam and Eve were doing when they were naked. And they had no shame. They're both buck naked. No shame. Did you know something? Did, did you know that everything that God has created is good? Like, like God created everything that is good. Satan wasn't allowed to create anything except cats. God, everything God creates is good. Just an example. Think of, think of one example, taste. The, the, the gift of taste. Do you know that taste is a gift of God? Like everything could have tasted like dirt. Just think about this for a second. Seriously. Everything could have tasted like dirt. And God said, no, I'm going to give you the gift of taste. And then I'm going to give you the gift of homemade chocolate chip cookies and a glass of milk. And you can dip those things in. And it's like heaven. And I'm preaching right now talking about chocolate chip cookies and milk. He gave us barbecue later on after Jesus, of course. Pigs weren't really accepted anyway. Um, but he gave us the gift of barbecue. Dude, I love barbecue. It doesn't matter what kind of barbecue, sweet barbecue, spicy barbecue, vinegar barbecue, Lexington, Kansas City. I don't care what city it's from. Just give me some barbecue. Everything could have tasted like dirt. And God gave us barbecue and chocolate chip cookies. Look. Sex didn't surprise God. It's not, like, it's not like God created Adam and Eve and then he's walking around and he, he peeks his head around a bush and he sees Adam and Eve and he goes, <gasps> It didn't happen. Sex is a gift from God. And look, look at what we learn here in Genesis Sex was given by God for the purpose of intimacy. But we often make it about identity. You see, that's where we go off. Sex is not an identity issue. It's an intimacy issue. Because Adam was alone and he had no intimacy. And God said, this is not good. So I'm going to create someone to you, for you to be intimate with. And he created this gift and he gave it to, to, to the two original, you know, however you work that out theologically. He gives it to Adam and Eve and he says, enjoy. Become one flesh. Enjoy the intimacy. But our culture is obsessed with making sex an identity issue. Well, are you, are you heterosexual, bisexual, homosexual, transsexual, multisexual? What kind of sexual are you? It's like, what are you talking about, dude? I'm a, I'm a human being who has been given the gift of sexuality to have intimacy with another human being of the opposite sex. This is, this is, sex is not something I am. It's an activity that I experience and share in. This is not an identity thing. And Jesus talks specifically about our sexuality. And so before you kind of tune me out, let's, let's do, I was going to do a drawing, not that kind of drawing. This is not that kind of church. I was going to do a drawing, but I decided I'm not really a good drawer. I'm better on the computer. So I did some computer graphics. I just, not those kind of graphics. Let's just go to the, I do a box. Let's look at the box, okay? This is a box, all right? It's a lot easier to do a box when you can do it on the computer rather than trying to draw it out. Now, inside our box is uh, safety. Inside the box is safety. Outside the box is danger. Regret, 
pain. Now, this past week, uh, we, we went camping in the Smokies. My family did. And let me tell you, if you've never taken an eight, a five, and a one-and-a-half-year-old camping, you don't know anything about the desire to want to construct a fence in the woods. <laughs> my my one-and-a-half-year-old, she wanted to roam around the entire Smoky Mountains. And we were constantly, Ava, come back. Ava, don't go that. Ava, stop. Ava. If I could have built a fence around our campsite, I would have. Why? Because inside the box is safety. Outside the box is danger. Now, let me ask you a question. I'm a dad. I think I'm a pretty good dad. Which is, which is more loving? To create a fence for my little girl at Smokemont in North Carolina and say, Ava, you can roam around anywhere you want inside this box. You don't have to hold daddy's hand. You don't have to be with a brother. Anywhere you want to go inside this fence, have at it. But don't go outside the fence because there's danger outside the fence. It's more loving for me to do that than to say, hey, hey, baby girl, go wherever you want in the mountains. Don't worry about bears. They won't get you. Don't worry about wolves. You're fine. Just go wandering up next to that stranger's campsite. You're okay. That's not loving. That's cruel. <laughs> That's mean. That's unloving, right? So Jesus identifies the box, and then he says there's two types of people. Let's go to the next, the next one after this. He said there's two types of people, man and woman. And he gives them other titles. He says they're man and woman. They're also husband and wife. And they're inside the box. And after that, he talks about sex. That whole, you know, two become one part, that's what Jesus is talking about here. The symbolism that he uses is kind of graphic, but Jesus is pointing us back to the original primary first mention of human sexuality. And he teaches us that sex was given by God for the purpose of intimacy between a husband and a wife. Intimacy, not identity, intimacy. There's a sharing, almost the two becoming one gives this idea that there is a sharing of the soul that happens in this activity that doesn't happen quite like this with anything else and anywhere else. It doesn't quite happen like that. There's no place in scripture that talks about marriage without a physical union. Nowhere in scripture. And you might be thinking, well, Pastor Josh, marriage isn't just based solely on sex. You're right, it's not. Marriage is not based solely on sex. If you think that, you've got a lot to learn. Ask a newlywed guy who went into it thinking that, and you're going to understand real quickly. This whole thing is a lot, more, a lot bigger than that. But it can't be devoid of sexuality either. It's an integral part. And the problem is, is from childhood, we have been bombarded with negative voices about our sexuality to the point that we forget that sex and sexuality in the beauty of marriage is a gift from God for intimacy between two people. And anything outside the box is not God's purpose. It's not God's Plan. It's not what he 
intended. And I'm not just singling out particular, uh, what, what we call particular sexual sins, like, like homosexuality. I'm not just, I'm not saying that. That's outside the box, but we're not singling that out. We're saying anything outside of this box is not what God intended. That means to a guy and a girl hooking up with a one night stand, that's outside the box. That's not God's best. That means, that means teenagers who are friends with benefits, that's outside the box. That's not inside the box. That means a guy or a girl who's staying up late when their spouse goes to sleep and looking at pornography on their computer, that's outside the box. It's not God's best for your life. That, that, that means that the, the person who's in, involved in, in the affair with that friend from the gym who's not their wife or their husband is outside the box. It's not good. It's not God's best for your life. But what so happens so, or what happens so often in the church, again, is we can look at others and we diagnose their sin and we become microscope people instead of mirror people. And we want to point out, well, you know, this and that, and you got to get this straight and you're off here. And, and rather than taking this and saying, okay, God, what are you saying to me? Let, let the mirror shine in my heart right here, right now? In what areas am I going outside of the box? Where do I need to repent? Because see, inside the box, you can be single and sexually pure. Inside the box, you can be married and sexually pure. And you might be saying, well, that's kind of boring. Well, you're not doing it right. But what happens is when we actually do present a, a vision for sex, a vision for sexuality, it's for intimacy. It's an experience that these two people share that, that pulls them together like nothing else. There are two main arguments that we get hit with. And the, and the first one is a predominantly homosexual argument. And it's this, well, I was born this way. I was born this way, Pastor Josh. You don't understand. I was born this way. And here's the thing I absolutely do understand. And you know what I say to you? Of course you were. I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a theological problem with it. I don't have a political problem with it. I don't have a social problem with it. I'd have no doubts that you probably were born that way. You know what? I was born with the desire to have sex with any pretty woman that would have sex with me. Does it make it right? I was born that way. Other people in the room were born that way. Some people were born with the proclivity to punch people in the face. That doesn't make it right. We're all born into sin. And I know that sounds really offensive. And the, pro the reason it probably sounds offensive is because you've bought into the lie that sex and identity are synonymous. And that when I say that, that sexual activity outside of the box is sinful, then you think I'm saying your identity is sinful because you've believed a lie. Sex is not identity, it's about intimacy. And so I know, yes, you, I don't deny that you probably were born that way. Look, I have three kids. I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, nobody had to teach my kids how to sin. If you, the people who are laughing have little kids right now. They know exactly what I'm saying. Amen, Pastor Josh. Ain't nobody teach my kid how to sin, and they're crazy. Look, nobody had to teach us how to sin. But see, here's the sacred cow in the church when it comes to this. What we do is we think that once someone gets saved, <laughs> once someone gives their life to Jesus, 
If they're gay or lesbian or, or having an affair or dealing with pornography or any kind of other sexual issues, once they give their life to Jesus, we just think that magically all of those feelings go away. And I want to tell you, that's not true. And you want to know how I can tell you this? Guys, I don't want you to answer this question. This is just to be a rhetorical question. But let me ask all the married men in the room here who are followers of Jesus. When you gave your life to Jesus or when you got married, did all of your lust for other women automatically, magically go away? No, probably not. And here's what I want to say. If you, if, if you kind of feel that, like I was born this way, here's what I want to tell you. I, I get it. I understand and you may deal with this for the rest of your life. And you may have to fight and, 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 and strive and resist for your entire life. But the reality is, inside the box, the sexual purity. Outside the box, it's not God's best. And so the follow-up follow statement is usually something like this. Number two, since I feel so strongly about this, it must be okay. Pastor Josh, why would God give me such strong feelings if he didn't want me to fulfill them? Why would I have these feelings? And again, I want to say, I understand. I fully believe that you feel the way you do. I don't deny it. I don't, uh, I think it's legitimate. I think you really do have those feelings. I, I, I have no problem with that at all. One time, when Hope and I were living in Gulfport, Mississippi. Um, we were living in a trailer park in Gulfport right after Hurricane Katrina because we were doing hurricane reconstruction work. Thought we were going to make a bunch of money. We didn't make any money at all. It was terrible. Um, but we were, it was a great time because, because while we were there, uh, Hope, Hope got pregnant with our first son, Lex. And so she's, you know, pregnant mom. Many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Belly sticking out, you know. It's a great time in life. And we're walking around our trailer park neighborhood. And this guy pulled up. Uh, this, 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 I'm going to try to be kind, this redneck, three, two, three teeth in his, in his, in his head, uh, shirtless, driving a, a, a rusted out Ford Ranger, wearing a Mountain Dew hat. I'm just, I'm just painting the picture for you that I see in my head. He comes up beside us and he starts talking to us and we're, we're kind, we're nice, we're talking back. And then this man starts saying some fairly inappropriate things. I, I deemed them inappropriate. I was highly offended. Things not only he was saying about pregnant women, but he was also kind of inferring about my wife. And in that moment, I wanted nothing more than to take my hands and put them around Mountain Dew man's neck and drag his body outside of his Ford Ranger and squeeze his neck until the other three teeth popped out of his head. I felt very strongly about this. Didn't make it right. Didn't make it right. We have to be really careful when we allow our feelings to legitimize our behavior. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says this. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I just want, I want you to know, and again, I hope that you hear nothing but, but love and welcome and acceptance, but I know that this might offend some of you. God's truth will always trump the way you and I feel. It will. And I'm not saying that doesn't mean you don't feel that way. That doesn't mean that the feelings you have in your life are not really strong. I know I'm telling all kinds of stories. One more story. Um, when I was a youth pastor, 
in Tennessee. I had a student that I'd been working with for several years, and now he was older, and, and, uh, and he, was, he was like, is, you know, have you ever met that person who's just like incredibly, you know, the churchy way of saying is on fire for God? You know what I mean? Like this, this guy had won all kinds of friends to the Lord. He had, he had, he had been the, one of the reasons that our, that our youth ministry exploded while we were there because he was just bringing people left and right and telling them about Jesus. And it was awesome. He and I are sitting down at lunch and, and he starts asking me some questions. And this guy had been a Christian for years. And it wasn't questions like we talked about a couple weeks ago. It wasn't those kind of questions. It was questions like, well, why can't I do this? And why, who says, you know, that this is true? And I sat there for a few minutes eating my burrito. And I just kind of looked up and I said, uh, how long have you been having sex with your girlfriend? And he just kind of looked at me like, what are you talking about? I said, no, seriously, how long have you been having sex with your girlfriend? He said, what does that have to do with anything? I said, here's what it has to do with you're having sex with your girlfriend and you don't want to stop having sex with your girlfriend because you really enjoy that. And so you're, you're looking for someone to help change your belief structure that will approve of what you're doing so you can keep doing it. And he just said, a couple months now. I said, yeah, that's why you're asking me these questions. Because you're wanting it out because you want to keep doing what you're doing because it feels good. Listen, I know your feelings are strong. I know that you're really attracted to that woman that you work with. I know that you really want to get with that dude at the gym. I get it. I know your feelings are strong, but that doesn't make it okay. That doesn't make it inside the box. And you're trying to adjust your belief system to allow you to continue or allow you to do what you want to do because you feel that way. And God's truth will always trump our feelings. Here's what I know about everybody in here. We all have regrets. We all have, have, have things that, that when we look at our past or we look at our life situation today, we wish we could erase. We wish we could change. We, we wish we could get around it. I know because I've been in and around church ministry now for the last 10 years, even though I don't look that old. Been in and around church ministry for the last 10 years and I know that an overwhelming percentage of our regrets are tied to sexual issues in our life. And it's either this, it's either, it's either our, current, our current lifestyle or our past lifestyle has created some guilt because we know that we're living outside the box. And so we have issues. For some of us, it wasn't anything that we did. It was someone else's sexual sin that violated us. And yet today we have all of this baggage and we're bringing, trying to bring inside our box with our spouse all of this hurt and woundedness and brokenness and it's creating all kinds of issues so that we can't experience the intimacy that God had intended for us. I know for some of us, we, we have friends or family members or maybe ourselves, maybe we're the one who's, who's just kind of confused about our sexuality and about what that looks like and there's these feelings and thoughts that go through our mind. Here's how I want to end this. Uh, I, I know that, that those regrets are true, but here's what I also know. I also know who Jesus is. And Hebrews chapter four kind of paints a picture of Jesus Christ. And look what he says in verse 14. The writer of Hebrews says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith 
we, prof- we profess. Faith being, God, I trust you even when my feelings don't line up with it. God, I trust you even when I feel differently. I choose your truth over the way I feel. Verse 15, he goes on and he says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Here's what I want us all to contemplate for just a moment. Jesus was tempted in every way. There's nothing that you're tempted with that Jesus didn't experience also. There's no temptation that you go through that Jesus didn't go through. He was tempted in every way. He knows how you feel. He knows what life's like. And yet, Hebrews says he didn't sin. If we are pursuing Jesus, we're not pursuing ways to get outside the box that he established. And it goes on, and look look what he says. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. If you're here today and you're going through any sort of sexual issue, again, maybe it's some current or past activity that you're involved in. Maybe it's, maybe it's the, the, the violation and the violence of a sexual uh, uh, attack on your life and you are hurt and wounded and you've got issues now because of that. You didn't do anything wrong, but you've been hurt by someone else who went outside the box. Or maybe you've got friends and family members that you're just thinking, God, I wish I knew what to say. I wish I knew how to, to help. I wish... Here's what I know about any of those situations. If you turn to Jesus, you'll find two things. You won't find condemnation and rejection. No, no, no. Hebrews says we'll find mercy and grace. Mercy and grace. Here's what I want to do today. I've asked Pastor Hope to sing a song. And I'm going to to invite you, everybody in the room, to stand right now. And we've got a few people who are just going to be along the back wall while she sings this last song. And if any of those three describe your life, you've got current issues or past issues of your own that you're dealing with. I want to invite you to just go find one of them and pray with them because you'll find mercy and you'll find grace. Maybe you've been the victim of someone else's sexual activity. And it's created issues and confusion in your life. If you turn to Jesus, you'll receive mercy. You'll find grace. Maybe you have a friend or family member. Maybe they're dealing with same-sex attraction. Maybe it's you. Maybe you're dealing with it. And you just need somebody to pray with you. Pray with you for them. Maybe you have none of that and you're here today and you're thinking, gosh, I just want to accept Jesus. (laughs) I came here, I don't know Jesus. I need to start there. I just wanna, I wanna pray with somebody and accept Christ. You can do that. Like I said, we have three people stationed in the back behind this first section of seats. You'll see them as soon as you turn down the aisle. While Hope sings this song, would you make your way back to them and just say, hey, would you pray for me? 
You can share what's going on. You don't have to share what's going on. Maybe it's a husband and wife who say, you know what, we're doing good right now, but if things could be better. So would you pray with us that our relationship would continue to foster that intimacy that Pastor Josh talked about? Yeah, you can go back there for that. You don't have to go back there for a triage. You can go back there for maintenance. Doesn't have to be a crisis. You can just say, hey, I want to make sure, I want us to stay on the right path. So would you just pray with us? So she's going to sing, and I'm going to invite you to go back there, find one of them, pray with you. Let me pray for you, and then we'll, we'll sing together. Lord, we come here today asking and knowing, God, that Jesus, you experienced every temptation that we would. And yet, when we turn to you, we receive mercy and we find grace. Today, God, my prayer is that there would be people in this room who would receive mercy and find grace in their time of need. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for showing us what this part of our life is for. Help us to pursue it inside the box. While Hope sings, would you feel free to just make your way to the back and have somebody pray with you. I've seen your goodness And I know the way you are Give me eyes to see you in the dark Your face shines a glory That I only know in part And there is still
Lord, all over this auditorium, we come not, God, as people who have it all figured out, not as, as perfect images of, of some ideal, but as, as broken people with all sorts of different issues and brokenness and frustrations. Today, God, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would breathe upon us and that you would revive, that you would bring new life. Lord, where there are areas of, of, of isolation and, and, and the, the, our heart feels like a desert, would you breathe life into our wilderness? Would you breathe life into our relationships, our marriages? Would you, would you show us, Holy Spirit, how to foster that intimacy that you, Jesus, talked about? Would you help us as we approach you and receive mercy and grace? Thank you, Jesus. We love you today. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell, and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.